Are you ready to free the body and free the soul? Join Dr. David, the cutting edge doc, as he guides us on today's journey. Here's Dr. David. Welcome, friends. Welcome to another edition of Freeing the Body, Freeing the Soul. I'm your host, Dr. David, the cutting edge doc. And here on Freeing the Body, Freeing the Soul, we do in-depth interviews with individuals that are doing cutting-edge work in the areas of healing, spirituality, and social transformation. I'm really excited about today's show. I'll be speaking with a delightful woman named Courtney Armstrong, and we're going to be talking about updating emotional memory to relieve human suffering, taking advantage of applying a very powerful scientific discovery called memory reconsolidation, which allows therapists and coaches and teachers and parents, etc., to much more artfully and quickly and easily help people to relieve unnecessary human suffering, especially related to emotional learning. This is one of my main interests these days to help people become aware that this is now available. And Courtney is a wonderful ambassador for memory memory reconsolidation because she understands it at a deep level. And at the same time, she has a really easy way to connect with a lot of people to make it really real for them. So sit back, relax, and enjoy my interview with Courtney Armstrong. Hi, friends. Dr. David here, Dr. David, the Cutting Edge Doc. And I am very excited to be here with Courtney Armstrong. Courtney is an author. She's written a very powerful book that was released just this year called The Therapeutic Aha. And she is an expert in the application of something called memory consolidation, reconsolidation, memory reconsolidation to the field of psychotherapy, to the field of traumatic incident reduction, and I'm sure much more. Many of you who follow me regularly know that one of my passions is to discover some of the most powerful breakthrough ideas and practices and connections and connect you with people that have been able to harness the power in in these areas and apply them in ways that are producing real results for real people. So Courtney fits right into that. So let's just get right in to the conversation. I'll bring Courtney in. Courtney, thanks so much for being with me and being with my listeners on Freeing the Body, Freeing the Soul. Well, thank you so much for inviting me. It's a privilege to be here with you today and to connect with your listeners, David. Great. So let's get right into it. Um, The way that I found you was that I became fascinated with memory reconsolidation. And we'll talk more about what that is. uh, And I'll tell you a little bit about my history Mm. of contact of under of, of learning about memory reconsolidation and kind of where that is for me but uh, I was just following my interest in memory reconsolidation and interested in who's actually applying 
the power of memory reconsolidation to help people really down in the trenches every day, just uh, making it happen. And somehow, I don't know if you were recommended to me or if I found you on a Google search, but somehow I found you and I thought, oh my gosh, the the perfect person. So <laughs> let's start out by, let's give the listeners um, um a definition that is usable for them for mm -hmm. what memory reconsolidation is. And then let's, let's go back then after that. And I'll ask some questions where the listeners can find out more about you and your journey. And then we'll, we'll, we'll pull it together later. That sounds perfect. So the, the simple way to think about memory reconsolidation is that basically it, it's updating a memory. And what we have learned just really since the year 2000 is that some of the techniques, particularly techniques that we use to treat trauma and anxiety, like exposure techniques, which we'll get into in a little bit, uh, really didn't clear the memory of a fearful event. For example, if you had been, let's say, attacked by a black dog when you were a kid, and then you still had this fear anytime you're around dogs, particularly black dogs, a traditional psychotherapy would have said, well, let's just help you start to get more comfortable around dogs so you can overcome that fear and would have done exposure where we would have just first we would have looked at pictures of dogs, watched videos of dogs, maybe looked at dogs behind glass, et cetera, until you could get with a dog and, and have a positive experience with a dog. And the theory was that you were training your brain how not to be afraid of dogs anymore. Well, that doesn't exactly work. We knew that there was always this chance that the fear could spontaneously show up again or that over time it, it would just kind of happen. Uh, so it wasn't a, a perfect solution. And what scientists have discovered, and we can get into to some of how they stumbled upon this, is that there's a particular way that we have to update that original memory when you're in a situation is particularly a life-threatening or, or just disturbing situation, you act from a part of your mind that is all about preserving your survival. And it is mostly occurring below your conscious awareness. I mean, even though you're aware you're scared and you're running, you know, there's, there's learned pathways being laid down during that event because the mind says, I want to remember what I did to survive this. And then when you experience anything that was similar to that original event, your mind will kick on that same pathway that it learned years ago. I explain it to my clients. It's like an app got downloaded into your brain years ago, and we've got to update that app to the year 2015. So there's some bugs in it. It worked for you during that time, but now it's getting in the way of you having the most uh, joy and you know, fullness of, of expressing yourself or living your fullest life. And that's what we want to clear up. And what reconsolidation research has taught us is the, the formula, so to speak, for how you can update that original event and so that your mind remembers it in a way that's going to be useful for you now. That's fantastic. And 
you know, for me, this dis this distinction between uh, reconditioning consciousness mm -hmm. uh, and actually having the emotional learning be voided at the same time that the autobiographical memory is maintained. It's, mm -hmm. it's a different animal. It's not just yes. it's not just a better way to do something we've been doing before. It's really a, a different yeah. animal. And, you know, it's true. There's a lot of people that have experienced uh, techniques for experientially based techniques for that attempt to accomplish this, where someone goes back to a traumatic incident and from a safe space views it over and over again to t until the charge gets blown off. And uh, mm -hmm. what I'd like you to talk about is how memory reconsolidation has uh, helped us to discover that that there's more to it than that. There's, okay. more, there's more to it than just uh, bringing that traumatic memory to life in a way that it can be viewed and confronted a little more fully. There are other elements in the secret sauce, so to speak. Yeah. And uh, I, I really want to draw you out on this so that so that the key distinctions okay. uh, can really come to life. Okay. So what, let me talk a little, I'm trying to think of the best way to start this without getting too bogged down. Um, I'm going to just help your audience understand kind of how this all came to be this this reconsolidation discovery and why it's different like you said it's a different animal in the united states the person that is most associated with starting you know this um Oh, gosh, this uh, flurry of research, actually. I mean, now there's been uh, hundreds of studies done on the same uh, type of, of reconsolidation with diff with animals, humans, different drugs, non-drug methods, all these different things. And it's actually what kind of spurred that movie, The Eternal Spot, um, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Because it was this thought that we could erase a memory. Well, it's not that we can erase a memory. We can erase uh, the the emotional charge and any unhelpful meanings that got attached to it. And the person associated with that in the United States is Kareem Nader. It's K-A-R-I-M-N-A-D-E-R. And he's at McGill University in Canada now. But he, at the time, in the year you know, 1999, he was at uh, New York University in Dr. Joe Ledoux's lab. And Joe Ledoux's a neuroscientist that his whole career has been dedicated to studying how you learn a fear, how we learn fear, and how we can unlearn a fear. So what, what Kareem realized at a lecture, I think by Daniel Kahneman one day, is that Kahneman said something about, well, every time that you, every time you recall a memory, you unstore it. It's like it's in this, it's this neural network that's kind of been stored, but every time you open it up, it's like taking something out of the closet and it, it, you've unstored it and it has to be restored. And whenever you unstore it, you have the opportunity to change it. So... But that what they learned is that to, to actually change it, you have to bring up the 
just a little bit of the experience. So you don't have to relive it like you, you know, we thought you did like back in the uh, 70s when they were treating Vietnam vets and they would have them vividly re-experience the memories thinking that was going to help them get desensitized to it. And unfortunately, what it kept doing is reinforcing all their horror. You know, the more they replayed it, it just kind of got that neural network grooved in even deeper. So what one distinction with reconsolidation is that you only bring up the memory briefly, like just enough to kind of capture a, a little bit, a snapshot of it, so to speak. And then what you have to do, David, is is you have to juxtapose a contrasting experience simultaneously, something that causes the brain to go, wait a minute, this isn't what I expected to have happen when I was thinking of this thing or, or encountered a black dog, so to speak. So you have to, what, what happens in the, we naturally update memories. For example, when you were a kid, you may have learned not to touch a hot stove, but you didn't overgeneralize it to say, oh, I can't touch any stove, you know, or all stoves are dangerous. So eventually you learn the nuances, like the circumstances, the context that would cause the event to happen again. So when we're kind of stuck, either from a traumatic memory or even even a memory of a distinct a troubling relationship or something hurtful that happened in a relationship and it's causing us to, to be guarded in other relationships. What's happened is the brain has overgeneralized that memory to other things. And what we want to do with, with the reconsolidation is not only help your mind recognize that the events, the, the past event is finished and you successfully survived it and that you're no longer in danger that you've, you've conquered it, but also to attach a new meaning to what happened to you back then. Because usually what's happened is it's the meaning we attach to an event that's gotten distorted. And, and it's not that our minds are working just fine. It's just that um, when something happens, we don't have all the facts or, or a, a good explanation for it. So our mind tries to come up with some explanation. So going back to like the dog example, you know, you get bitten by a black dog and your mind in order to protect you just says, Hey, why don't you avoid all dogs? Well, over time you might say, well, you know, I've been around other dogs. They seem okay, but black dogs, I'm still not so sure about, you know, what we would want to do is, is help your mind get that what was going on then was that black dog uh, had been abused and you stepped on its tail. <laughs> like there was another reason. There was another latent cause that explained why that happened to you. And what we've learned is that you have to have the original memory kind of in mind simultaneously that we create a new experience that helps you attach a whole new perspective, context, or meaning to an event. And that, and, and you can only do it within a certain window of time after recalling it. So even if the event happened 10 years ago, you can still change it, but you have to bring it up and then have something that, that contradicts what you would expect to happen when you encounter that memory or event. And you've got between 10 minutes and about five hours that your memory is malleable. That particular memory is, is malleable. You can update it with new information. After that point, it'll 
close back up again. It's like you put it back in the closet and, and, it, and you can't change it until you open it up again, you know? So um, I hope that's making some sense. I'll pause for a moment so you can, yeah. So is the key that something that somebody has been living as if it were true, you've got like about a five hour window once that's been brought up on the mat Yep. To at an emotional level engender some doubt. Good. Yeah, that's a great way to describe it. Yes. But you don't have to come up with a new belief system. You just have to engender some doubt. Right. Right. It's that's... kind of like um, for people who are students of Byron Katie, mm-hmm. spiritual teacher, one of the techniques she uses to catalyze some doubt it's mm-hmm. once once the upset is brought up she'll have the person ask himself am i sure this is really true am i sure mm-hmm. this is really true under all circumstances mm-hmm. so yes and there are many other creative ways oh yeah you know depending on the the therapist or the coach and the system that's being used to right. to generate that doubt but I wanted to check this out with you because as I've read the literature mm-hmm. and I've tried to glean what the essence of it is, that's what I've come to, that there needs to be some instigation of doubt in relation to something that somebody has been emotionally living up to now as if it were absolutely true. That's right. That 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 starts the process. Um that would be what we would call a prediction error um, in the scientific literature or a, a mismatch experience is another way. And so when you introduce that doubt, that actually they believe is what shakes up the brain to go, wait a minute. Um, it, it kind of is the catalyst for opening the memory network to be malleable and open to change. And what do you recommend once that condition once the conditions for that have been met and you're in that kind of wooey, wooey, <laughs> malleable zone, maybe, yeah. maybe confusion and doubt and a little bit of disorientation is uh-huh. being experienced by the client. What do you like to do with that space? Well, that's where the fun happens for me. <laughs> so <laughs> what, what I do and what I talk about in the therapeutic aha is that the emotional part of the brain where most of these implicit memories are stored. So even though you can intellectually understand something, so maybe you can intellectually understand, look, I know that I have a tendency to be attracted to men with alcohol problems because my father had an alcohol problem. Intellectually, I know it's ridiculous, but I can't stop myself from getting into these relationships. That's usually what people are coming to therapists for. It's not that they didn't understand the problem. It's like, I get it, but I can't seem to change it. And it's because on some level, there's that implicit emotional learning, like you were talking about, David, that that pattern's been laid down, like you've associated love with um, these particular traits in a person in this example. And then what we would want to do is is do something in the conversation or in the session that would introduce, that would have you talking about your dad, for example, um, and talking about the things you loved about him um, and maybe what, what wasn't so great about him. And But us have, 
us trying to help your mind get that what you loved about him had nothing to do with the alcohol. You know, we want the mind to stop associating alcohol with love, for example. Uh, so we would do something that would help her go, yeah, I mean, he, he wasn't like coming to my softball games drunk. I mean, that was some of my favorite times with him. And, it, you know, that's I liked him sober. I like these traits. Then the next thing we would want to do is create an experience to reinforce new learning. And there's the emotional part of our brain where those implicit memories are stored, they, it learns from experience. It doesn't learn from logical discussion. It doesn't learn from analysis. That's why you can try to reason with yourself all day long or even with a therapist and that felt sense does not change. So what we've got to do is create a new experience that updates it. So we introduce the doubt, but then we've got to make something happen that causes her to feel like, oh, I get it. That's when they have their aha moment, you know. So uh, what I would do is use things that the emotional brain understands like imagery or music or a role play or, um, you know, I've done some other things with humor and some games, you know, that that help us learn or movement. So maybe with this client. Um, I say, okay, that's great. Now what we got to do is get your mind to, to get a new picture of what would be desirable in a partner and what kind of things that you're looking for. So I'm seeing you being drawn to men who have, um, you know, stability, a good sense of humor. Um, they're fun. I mean, it may have been things she was a that, that people who like to drink do, but we want her mind to get that it has nothing to do with alcohol. You know, that's what I've, that's the challenge as a therapist. You got to think, hmm, what has her mind been associating with this? And what do I want her mind to associate instead? And how can we create an experience? Um, also metaphors and stories, the emotional brain learns through those modalities as well. And, and I'm a hypnotherapist. So Everything I learned in hypnotherapy really applies here in terms of we've got to get your mind into that receptive state. And, and hypnosis is not only getting into that kind of alpha theta meditative state where you're more receptive to things and, and you get um, into a state of, of instinctual healing, but also that that opens up. Hypnosis uses a lot of sensory-based language and metaphors and stories to help the subconscious mind begin to attach new meanings to things. Now so, how, excuse me. Mm -hmm. No, go ahead. Yeah. So just continuing to spin this yarn here, mm -hmm. how would you deal with it if when you're doing that, there's some new blockages come up? Like, let's say that the client has some core beliefs about not about yeah. being bad or about not deserving good things, not, not loving herself. And let's say that in the context of being exposed to these images of yeah. satisfying relationships, maybe she's not yet consciously aware of the limiting belief, but she's starting to feel uncomfortable. She's not letting it in. She's getting squirmy. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. Yep. How does, how does, how would yes. you, how would you be with that given the context of this conversation? Well, 
that's an excellent point, David. And that comes up often because usually there's not just one belief that, that got attached to an experience. Right. So, yes. And so that's the other thing, um, you know, I would call it where we're encountering some kind of internal conflict, like it's not okay to be okay. Right. And, um, and I reassure the client if they tell me, they're like, you know, I just can't see it. It doesn't feel like I deserve that or that it's not possible. Then I'm always very supportive and encouraging and say, great, you found another one. So now let's, let's see what we can do about that belief, you know, and we would look for, um, scan back through your history and tell me where you learned that, where you picked up that belief and we might get another memory where that that um encapsulates that experience more clearly or fully like um you know maybe when you know maybe she had the experience of her father also criticizing her a lot or her mother saying well honey this is just the best we can do you know when her mother when she asked her mother why are you staying with him and maybe well that's just the best that we can do or or he says you know i'm nobody's going to love you like i do you know and that belief gets locked into her head you know that nobody will ever love me um like him even though his love wasn't perfect so I, you know, I, I do a lot of education, helping the client understand this is how our minds can take in information literally, or it's like an impression, um, kind of like if you went to the beach and slammed your hand down into the sand and pulled your hand away, the impression of your hand is there, but it's like the sand doesn't realize your hand's no longer slamming into it. In the same way, we can have a disturbing, troubling event and, a belief slams into consciousness or a meaning that we attach and our minds confusing that imprint with the event happening over and over again, or it being some kind of truth that's, you know, not, um, that's permanent. And, and what we want to do is introduce, no, there was something that made an impression and we just want to, you know, clear that impression, clear that print, you know, like the water can watch over the sand at the beach and rearrange, you know, those sand particles. That's what we're doing with that information that your mind's taken in. We're rearranging it and updating it into a belief that's more useful for you. So as I'm listening to you talk and I'm imagining listening to the listeners listening. Mm-hmm. I want to go back and have you speak again because I can imagine some listeners listening to this thinking, oh, this sounds a lot like blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. It sounds a lot like this. It sounds a lot like that. And so I want you to go back and share again what is the unique distinction mm -hmm. that memory consolidation provides that allows this process to be much faster, much more effective etc cetera, etc cetera. okay one is that with with memory reconsolidation we don't want you to relive an experience we want you to just briefly kind of bring up an experience where you might have learned a particular belief or, or pattern okay and then the next thing we want to do is introduce like you said i like the way you said it introduce some kind of doubt about that belief 
based on that original experience. So uh, to do that, um, I might not, I'm not just going to question it rationally. Like maybe my client says, well, I believe that I don't deserve to be loved. Um, and if, if we try to go at it logically and, and intellectually, the emotional brain still isn't going to give a damn. <laughs> so what we're saying, it, it thinks like an animal. So what we, I would have to do is say, okay, let's go revisit. Tell me the story of what happened that day. But as you're telling me, stay connected to me, stay emotionally present. I don't want you to relive it, but let's just look at it, you know, objectively, like you're watching a movie. Um, and, and I might help her make something about that um, event absurd or funny or something to implant some doubt. So, you know, she might say, well, my dad said nobody will love you like I do. Okay. And what was going on with your dad that, you know, at that moment while well, he was drinking, he drank a fifth of bourbon. <laughs> and and um, what was it do you think prompted him to say that? Well, he, he wanted me to to uh, do something for him, you know, and he was trying to manipulate me. Um, you know, we might be able to help her see that now. So we would introduce that doubt and then we would want to contrast it with a mismatch experience, something, an experience that was, that would help her mind get new learning or even further invalidate that previous learning. So how might you do that in, in her case? In her case, one thing that you can do is, okay, now bring to mind someone who has loved you, whether it be, you know, a girlfriend or um, partner, you know, she's, if she's heterosexual, um, tell me what, uh, you know, tell me about some experiences where you have felt that love. That might be one way we go about it because that's bringing to mind her emotional brain. She's saying, no, wait a minute. That isn't true all the time. Look, all these other people love me. But maybe she doesn't really believe she's ever, that anyone's ever really loved her. Then I might have to introduce some kind of imagery experience. Um, so I might have to, um, what I do is collaborate with the client and say, okay, so let's, um, Let's think about what's desired and because your emotional brain doesn't have an alternative right now. We have to present some other blueprint or pattern that you want it to start creating a, um, you know, a, a network for. Um, so let's, let's get this feeling, um, seeing you recognizing that younger you cared about her father. There was a lot of things she liked about her father. And sometimes her father would say stuff to get her to do what he wanted. Um, but she recognizes his words. Um, you know, he didn't make sense then, or it was tainted by the alcohol or it was designed to get her to do something. It wasn't really about, um, her worth. And then I would try to do something to get her to, um, recognize her worth. So I might do something that sounds completely unrelated to the topic where I would say, so um, tell me about a time when you were in an outdoor setting and you saw something that was beyond beautiful. What is it? And she says, um, oh, near woods. I mean, this is what one of my clients said recently. Um, I was just so amazed by the redwoods and you know, the, the majesty of those trees. And I just felt this, um, 
you know, sense of security and awe and wonder. And then I might suggest that when you were in that setting, some people might say the redwood forest dropped those feelings inside of you. But I like to think that it brings to your awareness where you have peace, you have majesty, you have wonder, you have security at your center all the time. And we know that because you just got in touch with it right here in my office. And there is no redwood tree in here. It's within you. So let's take that a step further and say that it's not only within you, it's your essence. It is you. So you have a body, your body, you have thoughts, you're not your thoughts because your thoughts can change. You have beliefs, you're not your beliefs because your beliefs can change. You have thoughts, you're not your thoughts, your thoughts can change. So who are you? Let's think of your essence as what you got in touch with when you were in the Redwood Forest. And that's who you are. That's what your dad got in touch with when y'all were having those positive moments. He wasn't so in touch with that when he was drunk and wanting to try to manipulate you to do something for him. But where there was that connection to your essence, that was real and that still exists. And what you're interested in is being in relationships with people who love and respect your essence. Um, so we might do something like that. Okay. So let's say she goes... I'm with you. That makes mm -hmm. sense to me. Mm -hmm. Then what? Well, I'd want her to feel it, David, because it's not just enough for us to talk about it. So I would say, so let's really feel the essence of that. Get in touch with how you felt, you know, in the forest there. Um, bring up a memory of your dad looking at you with loving eyes. Bring up a memory with when your dad was um, responsive to you. Um, you know, I might get her to bring up another time when there was someone else who you knew cared about you and how they responded. Get that it wasn't about you. Get that it was about where that person was at in that moment when they were able to let themselves connect with you because you were the same person in every situation. Would another possibility be if she couldn't recall a time that her father looked at her with love, true love? Could you uh -huh. could you ask her to imagine that she's looking at her father and inside her father she sees uh, a little scared little boy? Yeah, exactly. Yes, you can absolutely do that. You can help her see, you know, underneath that fear, you know, there was underneath that facade there was a scared little boy, and underneath that fear is his essence. So that could be done if she couldn't. Uh, if she couldn't recall a memory that was positive with the father, that would right. be another creative approach that could shift yeah. the shift the meaning. That's right. That's right. Okay. And that that's what we're you know what what we're always targeting is how can I help her shift this meaning? But I'm very collaborative. Like some some therapists or, or providers or healthcare. Uh, people or coaches will feel all this pressure like, oh gosh, I've got to come up with something really clever. And I believe it's so much more valuable to be collaborative. I, I will suggest to my client, well, let's think of it this way. Can you recall a time um, 
you know, first I, I want to help her get in touch with something that empowers her. So I might not start with, well, think of a time your dad was loving because that, and that sounds like I'm taking up for him, you know, or discounting right. her feelings. So I'd want to start with getting her detached from, um, you know, that sometimes the way people respond to her doesn't tell her anything about her. She's just learning something about them. Right. Right. And, um, and there's, there's another story that I use. And, and by the way, a lot of the things that I'm sharing with you, I learned in a technique called rapid resolution therapy developed by Dr. John Connolly. And I want to give him credit because he has just come up with so many clever ways uh, in powerful ways that we can pleasantly shift meanings a bit, um, a, you know, about events that were painful. So a story he also has has shared with me is, you know, to have your client imagine, just say, you know, um, it reminds me of, of a friend of mine who she wanted to do this experiment. She was having a lot of social anxiety. So she, she decided she'd go into the grocery store and talk to four different people and she was going to do the same thing with all four people just say good morning you know the same way so she starts in the produce section and she says uh good morning to the first woman she sees while they're looking at broccoli and the woman says good morning yourself weirdo and then she was kind of taken aback but she keeps going and she goes to the cereal aisle and she says good morning to a guy as they're looking at cheerios and he says well, it's certainly a good morning now. And then she's in the frozen food section. She says, good morning to another guy. And he just walks right past her like he didn't hear. Her. And then she's in the dairy section, says, good morning to another woman. And the woman just says, oh, good morning. And then she's checking out and she says, good morning to the clerk. And the clerk says, well, that is so nice. Not many people say good morning anymore. I really appreciate that. So later, my friend's telling me, you know, I didn't learn anything about myself this morning. I learned about five different people at five different moments in time because I was the same person saying good morning the same way to everyone and got a different response. So you can tell stories like that that help that emotional part of your brain also attach a different meaning. So that would be a story I would use to help people get on a deeper level. Yeah, you know, a lot of times we're not learning anything about ourselves we're learning something about other people that has, and it doesn't mean anything about us you know another thing i really like about the approaches that i've seen that apply memory reconsolidation is that the chief complaint the presenting problem isn't seen as the enemy no it's seen as a attempt solution to a perceived threat or problem and um, uh -huh. and I think the fact that it's not judged as bad and wrong um, helps to diffuse um, the kind of defensiveness and fight or flight state that locks it in place. That's right. The uh, what you're referring to in another a theoretical approach that uses memory reconsolidation is coherence therapy developed by Bruce Ecker and Laurel Hawley and Robin Tissick. And they call that the pro-symptom position. So just like you're saying, David, and I, and I agree with them and I'm influenced a lot by their work too, 
that we believe your your brain formed a pattern for a reason um, and it, it at one time served you or was protective of you or someone that you cared about. And in coherence therapy, they, they go a little bit deeper in trying to help people examine what that pro-symptom position is about. Like, um, you know, what is the downside? I and mean, we do it in, in rapid resolution therapy too. But what is the downside of believing you're lovable? And Yeah, and I like to explore mm-hmm. it from the opposite as well. Mm-hmm. What's the good thing about maintaining the position that you're unlovable exactly exactly because it may be well if i admit that then um i have like in in this case it might be um you know if i admit that then i've got to take responsibility for something or that um it's a way that i've protected my dad um right and that's why i like mm -hmm. that approach because a lot of times it'll reveal the underlying core beliefs right and and often they're they're really compassionate kinds of things you know um people will think oh i must be you know an idiot or a doormat and they learn that no actually i've maintained this because it worked in my family of origin it protected not only me but other family members from some you know other kind of belief that seemed like it would just tear us apart. I think that's so important to make a distinction that comes alive for the client about the Mm -hmm. difference between the honorable intention Mm -hmm. and the fact that the strategy may not have worked. Yes, that's right. I like that saying it's an honorable intention because usually it was. Yeah. 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 And, you know, mm-hmm. there might have been a lack of wisdom. There might have been a lack of contextual understanding. But I have found mm-hmm. that that people's people really stop beating themselves up when they when it becomes emotionally real for them that they could continue to honor the intent. And at the same time, they could release an unworkable strategy because very often the chief complaint turns out to be an unworkable strategy. Right. That's right. That's right. That, that, that a lot of times it is, it's um, what they're describing as the symptom has just been a strategy (laughs) for dealing with something and it's not working. Now, how does the, um, for people that really want to get into this, uh, yeah. In terms of you were talking about being influenced both by Ecker's work and by the what's it called rapid response? It's it's rapid resolution therapy. Rapid resolution therapy. Can mm-hmm. you can you talk about kind of what are the golden nuggets you've gotten from each of those and how those how those come together synergistically in mm-hmm. in the work that you do? Yeah, yeah, I'd love to. So I'll start with rapid resolution therapy. I. I've been trained in hypnosis and, but I, I felt like there were some limitations in my training in terms of how to use hypnosis with people who have been impacted by trauma. And I was going to get trained in EMDR, rapid eye movement, um, eye movement, uh, desensitization and reprocessing. But, but because I was already trained in hypnosis, um, I had actually heard about John Connolly and that he had a specific method he used that involved hypnosis 
uh, to treat trauma and he had a really excellent success rate. So I went to get trained with him. Let's see, it was in 2007. And what, what I was amazed with David, it, you know, he's, he's very, he's, he's kind of an enigma and it's sometimes hard for people to follow his work. Like you see him do these things that immediately cause people to feel better and release traumatic memories and change how they feel about themselves and, and other people. But it's, it wasn't always clear, like, how the heck is he doing that? Cause he would, it to people don't kind of get the protocol it would just look like he's just pulling the stuff out of his intuitive mind and um, there's no structure to it but as I as I got to studying it because he wanted me to help he wanted me to teach other people how to do it because I was really responding and learning and doing a lot with it and I wanted to get some kind of structure to it so um, I did talk to Joe Ledoux who I referred to earlier the neuroscientist at NYU who was kind enough to talk with me. And I said, I, you know, this method I've learned, it really is clearing up traumatic memories faster than anything I've ever used with my clients. And it's painless. Like they're actually like smiling and we're laughing, you know, as we're talking about horrible stuff. And he said, I think you're triggering memory reconsolidation. And I said, well, what is that? I, I didn't know what that was. And he said, basically what it sounds like you're doing is you're having them just bring up the original event where they may have learned a belief or an emotional pattern that was not, you know, that, that, that what, that's not helpful now helping them figure out where did I pick that up and learn it, where it may have been useful and then helping them, you know, have some experience, like you said, that, that casts a doubt on, wait a minute, that isn't why my dad did that or didn't do that or wait, that didn't mean anything about me. So and then when there's that mismatch, then that memory becomes open to new ideas, new meanings within 10 minutes to five hours. So we create that doubt moment that would be like a prediction error, error or a mismatch experience. And you have, a, you know, that period of time where the memory's still open to new experiences to reinforce new meanings and that's what we would do in rapid resolution therapy through imagery role play stories to more and more help their mind get yeah wait a minute this is what uh this event meant or didn't mean about me um or other people and here's how i want it to be now well um so so rapid resolution therapy was doing that what i learned about using hypnosis was we only used hypnosis to get them connected to what was desired to get their mind connected to the belief that they wanted and to create an experience that helped them believe things could be different. Um, we did not use hypnosis to regress them back to the original event and try to replay it. That is not helpful. So, so just like, um, with memory consolidation, what you're doing is just bringing up enough of the event to start inserting new experiences and context around it. So my, and then, so my question is, mm -hmm. what is it that you got out of, was what you got out of working with him as opposed to your exposure to Ecker's work? What are the, mm -hmm. I get, the, I get the similarities that they're, that the both of the yeah. are consistent with the findings of the neurophysiologists in memory yeah. reconsolidation. I'm interested in the distinctions. 
Okay. The distinction with uh, coherence therapy, they go more into that pro-symptom position. So their approach would be more like, um, you know, let's bring up that earlier memory where you learned that pattern and then let's explore, you know, how that was helpful to you, um, what was useful about that, um, you know, imagine the original people involved in the event and do, they do a lot of sentence completion. Like, right. um, I'm not going to, um, I'm not going to show my full self or I'm not going to be my, I'm not going to say what's on my mind, because that would really hurt all of you. So it's better for me to be quiet. But they would get them that, I mean, what you want to do is get the person to have that, not just say it intellectually, but really remember and feel that, feel the reality of, yeah, it felt better to just not say anything. Um, so my mind, and it helps the person realize, no wonder my mind is continued to repeat this pattern because it, it really worked then. And there's a real concern or fear that if I, if I've, change that it's going to hurt people that I care about so is there a particular type of client or a particular challenge presenting challenge that would lead you to go more in one direction or the other in a particular case or do you find that you uh -huh. or that you pretty much are blending it uh, uh -huh. with everyone without even thinking about it or how does how does all this uh, occur for you? Okay. Uh, I would say, yeah, I'm blending the two things that I've learned from the two approaches quite a bit. But I will tell you, when somebody's really, really stuck, like I can even create new experiences that help them, you know, to try to help them cast doubt on an original learning. But they're like, I know, Courtney, all of that makes sense, but I just don't, I still don't feel like it would be okay. Yeah for me to be that way, then I'm going to go more into some of the depth that coherence therapy goes into to help somebody tease out that internal conflict about changing that position. Right. Mm -hmm. I would think, and, I would think that mm -hmm. makes sense to me that the, the, the more ontological you have to go in your excavation, the more yes. you would go in that direction. Yes, that's right. And then, you know, in coherence therapy, one of the other things they do is they will have the client write down on an, an index card, uh, you know, the belief, the, the, the pro-symptom position, like, um, and it, it's more to help you get more and more the absurdity of that right. um, into consciousness. So they might say, you know, write down this, um, you know, I'm only loved when I I'm quiet and don't speak my mind, <laughs> right. you know? Um, so then they would get the person to, you know, at least once a day, you know, be looking at that card and challenging that thought or noticing things that challenge that experience now so that you're kind of juxtaposing you're you're kind of doing your own memory reconsolidation bit right. on a daily basis where you keep, you keep confronting that original belief and, and, and doing something to intentionally contradict it so that your mind can go, wait a minute, that's not true anymore. 
Okay, well, I think we've given the listener a really good taste of the uh, the lay of the land. Yeah. And, uh, I appreciate you uh, dancing with me here, and so let's go. Let's go back. Let's go back uh-huh. to Courtney. <laughs> <laughs> let's go back to your journey, and you know. I know as a healer myself, I know that, you know, what we have in common is that at some point along our soul's journey, we stopped focusing on ourselves and we really sincerely wanted to to uplift other people. And then from there, it, it takes many, many different directions. And I know from what you've told me that part of where that took you is as a hypnotherapist. Now, are you also a licensed psychotherapist? Yes. Okay. Uh-huh. So it's taken you in those directions. And, you know, you're obviously an intrepid soul and an outside the box thinker. Was there something that happened that really catapulted you to want to explore outside the traditional educational exposures that you had? Was there some kind of a, of a personal yeah. or professional failure or upset? Or was it just more like a revelation or what tell us a little uh-huh. bit more about your journey yes uh there was both personal and professional upsets <laughs> you know I, I the the story that i i think captures that for me professionally was when i i'm from atlanta georgia i live in tennessee now but i, I went to graduate school in new orleans and I worked with inner city kids in New Orleans. So, so my, in my personal life, my parents divorced when I was six years old and, and I always had this desire to work with kids who had been impacted by trauma. And even though my parents were, were loving there, you know, I didn't suffer physical abuse. There was a lot of emotional turmoil and chaos in my early life. And, and it had me pretty, Um, Even though I, you know, I did well in school, I I managed to kind of stay on track um, in terms of of those, those kinds of things. But when I got to college, even though I did well academically, I suffered from a lot of anxiety and depression and didn't understand why. And then I I did go to a, a therapist at my school and she really helped me make some connections and she was she was more trained in transactional analysis, um, which was popular at that time, but she helped me see, you know, oh, wow, all of this traces back to experiences I had during the divorce that I didn't even realize were still haunting me. Just, you know, this implicit belief that, that any, at any moment your life's going to be shaken up or turned upside down. You know, I was always on that waiting for that other shoe to drop. And so she helped me discover you know, how those implicit beliefs can cause all these other symptoms and, and how to clear them up. But then when I went to school, uh, to graduate school, and I wanted to work with kids and help them get that same sense of security um, by realizing that they have more control um, or influence over the direction of their lives. uh, I learned you know, working with the inner city kids that you can't just reason your way out of it. I mean, these kids were dealing with 
gang-related violence. And uh, at least once a week, someone they loved was getting shot. Um, Sometimes they were killed. Sometimes they survived, but they were still... It was a war zone. And so these traditional cognitive behavioral types of therapies where we just, you know, try to reason through things, we're not going to touch it for them because their reality was, you know, I can't just positive think myself out of this horror that I'm living day in, day out. So what what did work was creative experiential things that that we could do that could help them believe have some hope for the future so um, one of the things that I learned is that initially they didn't want to open up to me because they didn't think I could relate to their world and I agreed with them instead of just trying to harder and harder to do what I learned in school I said you know you're right I I really don't know that any of this stuff is going to make sense to you um help me understand your world and then I would play with them and I said you know if you'll if if you'll just participate in our group today I'll do an awkward white girl dance for you (laughs) you know and and that would make them laugh and I would be willing to show that I was was willing to be vulnerable which would help them be willing to to meet me halfway and um And what we had to do, I I realized I've got to help them believe that they can have a life. They can survive past the age of 21 because a lot of them didn't believe that would happen and to believe that they can have a life outside of the project. So um, instead of just reasoning through that, we actually would do things like we created this little just among our little group. um, One of them was really good at drawing athletic shoes. And I said, you know, you you could be a you could be a shoe designer for Nike, and that had never occurred to him. They thought their only options were selling drugs or uh, playing for the NBA or, or working at McDonald's. I mean, that's really what they thought the three options were. So, we had to create experiences in our group that would help them entertain the notion, cast some doubt, as you said, David, that those were their only options. So, a lot of my job was to help them and help each other too on like how can we work together we created a little mock shoe design business for a little while just for a few weeks we said hey let's do this and you know you're talented at the design but your talent how could you help with the business it was just to help them start to have new experiences of themselves and and that's really what I learned is the key to effective therapy or healing, we really have to have a new experience that takes us into another possibility that we never considered. So you were really doing, you were really applying the insights of memory reconsolidation without knowing them. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. You were unconsciously competent in, you developed a, (laughs) you developed a competence in, in, in that without knowing the science behind yes. it but i would imagine now that you know the science combined with your natural gifts it's probably even helping you to be even more creative it is because now i can be more intentional and and my clients and i can be more intentional and that's a lot of it too in the way that i work is um let's set an intention for what we want to have happen in this session and let, let's set an intention for how you want to be feeling, thinking, or responding to this event, whether past or present, in contrast to how you've been responding. Let's set an intention for how we want your mind responding. 
And that is really powerful too, because it, yeah. it, it helps people really tap into those possibilities. I do think that's so important because the more we are learning about quantum reality and quantum physics, the intention is part of the equation. Yeah. And, you know, one of the things that I do in my work with people very often in the intention discovery process, I'm sure you find this for yourself too, is the original intention, the way it occurs for the client, is it occurs like trying to get rid of or minimize or avoid something that's negative. Yes, and, that's right. And I have found just the process of, in, of guiding someone to pivot from that negative goal and discover maybe the senior positive goal that's behind it, that in and of itself has incredible healing power. Mm-hmm. That's right. That's right. You know, one question right. I one question I had going just to pick up a loose end, going back to when you were talking about your work with uh a rapid is it rapid response? Rapid resolution. Resolution work. As you yeah. as you were describing that, it reminded me of kind of a way of looking at people and a and a and a set of tools that sounded very similar to NLP. And I wanted to know mm-hmm. if, if there if I'm right on there or if there's some key distinctions between where that's coming from and where NLP is coming from that I didn't that 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 I that I'm blind to here. Okay. Well I think John Connolly, the developer of RRT, was influenced by NLP, by neurolinguistic programming for sure, because you know, he really was fascinated with hypnotherapy. And so in neurolinguistic programming, a lot of it is how to change the structure of how your mind is, is coding right. something, so to speak. Yeah. So, so definitely it's very influenced by that. But I do think John, if you ask John, he'll say, no, this is not NLP. <laughs> because I do think he is much more spiritual. Um how does that in the way up? that you're describing? How does that show um, up in his work, that spirituality? Oh, gosh. He really believes, like, well, the way that he shows us how to use hypnosis is to connect, to connect people. To, he uses, um, you know, to connect them to a higher energy, to, um, to activate internal healing states where you're really raising your vibration and your connection to something larger than yourself. So he's using, he's using the mind to go beyond the mind. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Beautiful. And I'm sure that's part of what attracted you to, Absolutely. to the work. Yeah. Yes. Yes, it did. Because it was more than just psychotherapy. I really feel like we are, you know, helping people heal on a, on a much larger level on a deeper level it's just it's he it's not just healing the body and and the brain but but consciousness you know right you know i'm really excited how the uh i i see i get this image in my mind of these these tributaries of these different rivers so to speak you know the Mm -hmm. and how it's come together in you you know how Mm. how you, Mm -hmm. you you're like the point person (laughs) <laughs> come together in you and you're you're able to synthesize these things and you're able to come up with your own unique expression and then anchor them uh 
in ways that people that maybe are not don't identify necessarily as being cutting edge light worker type people can can relate yeah. to and you know for you to be anchoring the light over in uh you know Georgia and Tennessee which isn't exactly yes. San Francisco right exactly <laughs> I, I, I want to thank you for doing that because it's not easy work to build that kind of a bridge and at the same time to have the support that you need in the community structure that you need to keep your own vibration clear and high is there do you have any particular suggestions or personal practices that you use in managing your own life and your own personal energy so that you you know so that you stay in a resourceful state so to speak oh wow david yeah it's true what well i do meditate uh, i have uh we have a place here in chattanooga actually called the, the center for mindful living where there's some like-minded souls there that we that i can gather with that are good friends and you know when we do meditation and yoga and different kinds of things there that help um i i actually find music really helps me and i love listening to um, music, gosh, now music by Jeffrey Thompson, who's actually in Southern California and yeah. And, um, his music you can get on Amazon, uh, in the first set of, cause I got cassette tapes from him years ago when, when, you know, but even before we were, CDs were so popular and it was called the brainwave suite. And so his music is designed to help you get into those alpha theta states, uh, brainwave states and I I find that really helps me and so that and I do think also just getting out in nature and so we hike there's a lot of great hiking here and and being playful helps too um so I to get good food out there well, not as good as New Orleans, but there there is some there is some good Southern food here. Uh, as far as a uh, fresh um, organic food, we've got a few different grocery stores now where we can get really good, clean, and you know, actually here they're very into that because it, this was a you know there's a lot of farmers here, so people actually are very much into eating locally and eating fresh um, farm to table types of food. So. Good. So you do have some kind of a supportive community that you're a part of. Yes. Yes. And I think that's very important. When you work with your clients, do you work with them in a traditional context where they just come per visit and they just pay per visit? Or have you developed uh, more like packages where there's more of a long-term partnership or how are you doing your professional thing? Well, I've got both options because I started out using taking insurance and people doing that traditional kind of weekly or biweekly type of, of therapy visit. And then eventually I, I got off the insurance panels a few years ago for a variety of reasons, mainly because I felt like they limited what I could do with clients. Like they wouldn't pay for hypnosis and they limited, you know, my sessions could only be 45 minutes right. and things like that. So I, I transitioned off of that and I do offer uh, for my clients, usually when a cl- client is starting out with me, I'll 
we'll do like a package of three sessions where, you know, because I do think with the method that I use, the approach that I usually, usually gets results for people in significantly less time. And within those three sessions, we know if it's working for you and you've usually had some kind of shift that, and then people will want to continue in different ways. Like sometimes people want to keep going and do some intense work on some related issues. Cause usually we'll target one thing at a time, even though life isn't that clean, you know, usually if you've got, um, negative beliefs, they're affecting a lot of different areas, but we'll try to target one belief or one pattern, so to speak at a time and do some intense work around it until it's clear. And then I have people that will do that with me for, you know, several weeks to a few months sometimes. And then they want to just stay connected to me usually and come in once a month to get kind of a tune up, so to speak. So we do those kinds of sessions where we do some hypnosis. And, and when I talk about hypnosis, I, I mean it in the way that, that I mentioned John Connolly uses it. It's really to help people connect to their higher self and higher vibrations to help them kind of overcome things that have brought them down and um, reconnect to their vitality and their highest wisdom. Do you have a recommended resource for people that want to check his work out? Well, Dr. Conley has, doesn't have a, the only book that he's published is life changing conversations, um, which is transcripts of some of his sessions and you, you can contact, you can go to cleartrauma.com and you can contact his office and they, it's a self-published work and, and they distribute that. But he was influenced by psychosynthesis, uh, which is a form of, of psychotherapy. Um, and you can get some books and I forgot the developer of that. That He's, was uh, Asigioli. Yeah, that's right. He was exactly. he was like an Italian mystic that yes that was uh -huh. that was uh, kind of trying to fit uh, spirituality into psychology. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And there, good. You are so knowledgeable. There's actually a esoteric mystery school that he also yeah. founded. Uh, that's in Ojai, California. Okay. Called meditation well, cool. called Meditation Mount. And you oh, might nice. you might be very interested if you resonated with his work and you want to get into the more esoteric aspects. If you just do a Google search for Meditation Mount Ojai, California, O J A I, mm -hmm. there's a there's a place at the top of the hill up there, and there's some uh, correspondence courses for different levels of students. You might you might really enjoy that. Oh, thanks, David. I can't wait. Yeah, I'll definitely check that out. Yeah, he, he was one of the first psychologists to write extensively about the role of the will. Okay. He wrote a book yes. called The Psychology of Will. And, mm -hmm. you know, will is the future tense of the verb to be. Mm -hmm. And so he was really getting at this being stuff. He was really getting at this ontological level of 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 things and he didn't really have a structure that really worked so he he tried to he tried to straddle the fence where he he tried to impregnate the psychological world with some of his ideas but some of his contexts were too far out and so there was also this 
mystery school that developed around his his work. Oh wow. Yeah, definitely ahead of his time. You're way ahead of his time. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. Uh, it sounds like this guy hasn't done much to disseminate his work. He hasn't. You know, he's very he's very prolific in terms of, of working with clients, and he has lots of video and audio. I mean, that's really – he doesn't – he doesn't have the patience to sit down and write, you know? And so this book, the therapeutic aha that I wrote is in some ways a credit to him where I'm trying to get his work out in the world and ground it in some yeah. theory that, that people can relate to. And, and that's kind of what I think will happen with Dr. Connolly. I, I think he's so busy trying to teach others how to do what he does and help as many people as he can that he he just really wants to be out there doing it and and so he he audio and video records his work and i think that's how it will get out in the world eventually um so I, more in that multimedia way <laughs> so i could i could access those recordings um, only if you, if you get trained by him, you know, oh. because it's, it's sensitive client information, okay. he, okay, you know, he doesn't disseminate it to just anybody, but if you become, you know, if you're interested in getting training, then he has a program where you can access his materials and, um, and learn that way. Well, I hope at some point in the future for people that don't necessarily want to do his work, but who want to be exposed to it and connect other people to it, I hope at some point that yeah. loosens up. But again, maybe your function is to begin to popularize his work to some extent. Yeah. 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 I hope so. I'd, I'd be honored to do it because he's, he's pretty brilliant and it, it is hard to capture all of it you know, just in, in one book. So I'm sure there will be many people inspired by him and, and there'll be several of us to, to publish work. Yeah. Well, Courtney, as we move toward wrapping up this interview, I want to make sure of a couple of things. I want to make sure number one, that you give our listeners any contact information you want to give out. And also if okay. there's any uh, time sensitive things coming up that you want to let people know about. And then also, and equally importantly is I want to give you kind of the last word, so to speak, and just share anything that's in your heart to share in closing to to our listeners. Well, thank you, David. Your listeners can go to my website at CourtneyArmstrongLPC.com. And that is my original website. Um, I also have one for for medical practitioners, therapists, whatnot, who are working with clients, it's CourtneyArmstrong.net. But on either site, I have free downloads. So I've got a handout that will teach you how to do memory reconsolidation on a memory that you have. So, so even though, you know, it's helpful to do with another person because they can see things that you can always see on yourself. Um, this isn't like big secret information. So please take advantage of any of those downloads of, that might help you go in and, and reframe some of those um, experiences and beliefs that you've had in your life so that you can free yourself up. Um, and I've, I've got some audios as well. So um, my audios are designed with music in the background that helps you get into those alpha theta states to help 
raise your vibration and get some of that energetic healing. And, um, and then of course, in my book, the therapeutic aha, 10 strategies to get your clients unstuck is, you know, was published by W.W. Norton, who publishes books for therapists, but really it's written in a really accessible way that anybody can benefit from. And I've already had a lot of people who aren't trained therapists tell me that they got a lot out of it. So, um, if you guys are, are interested in getting more information and getting more tools and worksheets and creative ideas, I've got materials in that book that'll help you. And my, my closing words, I think are, are just that I so much appreciate what you're doing, David. You obviously, you know, are a, a loving, gentle soul who's, who's interested in helping people tap into those possibilities. And, and I want to commend your listeners. I think the more that we connect with people with that kind of um, way of being in the world, it helps bring our energy level up and helps us create more of what we're meant to do here in the world. And I encourage people just to keep following your instinct and where your energy is. I talk about that in my sessions that I always follow where the client's energy is, where do I see light them up that tells me where their soul wants to go. And that's what I follow. And, and I encourage your listeners to do the same because it won't steer you wrong. Well, thanks, Courtney. And if you ever need an excuse to come to the San Francisco Bay Area, let me know and we'll break bread together. And uh, okay. we, can even, we can even do a joint workshop together. Oh, that would be awesome. That would be very fun. Courtney, anything else? That's it. That's Okay. Well, Courtney, thank you so much. And, uh, you know, I didn't get to my story, but I'll get it to it another time for you. That story oh. about how I crossed paths with memory reconsolidation. I'll tell you that story another time. Oh, gosh. Okay. I'm sorry we missed that. I'll make sure we have that conversation. And uh, okay. ladies and gentlemen, you've been listening to another edition of freeing the body, freeing the soul, where we do in-depth interviews with individuals like Courtney that are doing cutting-edge work in the areas of healing and spirituality and social transformation. And my guest today has been Courtney Armstrong, who's written a book this year called The Therapeutic Aha. And for me, Courtney is a great entry point to one of the greatest uh, scientific breakthroughs of our time in terms of being able to apply it to reduce human suffering, which is the medical breakthrough of understanding how emotional learning takes place and how it can be unlearned or voided and how we can begin to apply that uh, where the rubber meets the road in the offices of therapists and coaches and physicians, et cetera. So this has been a really special show. And until next time, this is Dr. David, the Cutting Edge Doc, and we'll close with love and peace. Bye for now. Dr. David here. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Courtney Armstrong and learning more about memory reconsolidation. Just in closing, I'd like to encourage you to check out her website, www.courtneyarmstronglpc.com. And to check out her recent book, The Therapeutic Aha, I provided a link 
to that book on Amazon in the show notes. And if you don't have the show notes, you can just go to Amazon.com and search the therapeutic AHA. That's A-H-A, therapeutic AHA. So until next time, this is Dr. David, and we'll close with love and peace. Bye for now. Thank you for joining us for today's episode of Freeing the Body, Freeing the Soul. To access all episodes, including show notes, go to CuttingEdgeDoc.com. That's CuttingEdgeDoc.com. Lastly, if you love today's show, you can support Dr. David, his work, and the show by going over to iTunes and giving a five-star rating and a heartfelt comment. Thank you again for joining us today and for your commitment to freeing the body, freeing the soul.